electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The retail blowout sales surging past expectations is all in on the roaring 20s trade, the best bet for your money right now. We debate that. With our investment committee joining me for the hour today, Jim Labenthal, Brenda Vangelo is CIO of Sandhill Global Advisors. Pete Nigerian's here, Josh Brown as well. Let's check stocks. They're higher, both the Dow, the S&P, hitting new record highs yet again today on the back of that blowout retail number. Take you to the wall, show you where we are now. Dow, 34,000. Topping that today, the S&P above 4,150. Strong day for the NASDAQ. It's been above 14,000. There's yields, too, dropping, actually, 155. So that's the lowest level in more than a month. And that's the story we tell today. Now, Pete, it's a good one, too, right? Earnings continue to beat. Retail blows past expectations. Tech's leading today. Yields are falling. And I'm told you're getting a little antsy and thinking about buying some protection in, this, in the S&P and the Qs. Well, when everything gets this comfortable, Scott, and you just mentioned all the different catalysts and why things are doing as well as they are doing, and for all the right reasons, but that always makes me just sort of stand back and say, you know what, I got to look at this thing and, and decide when I need to put on some of this protection. We're talking about a volatility index that just a month ago was trading basically close to 30, and here we are now about half of that. So, uh, you know, have we gotten a little bit complacent? Maybe, but I think the reaction actually makes some sense because we've had nothing but good news, good news, good news for the most part. And you talk about the retail numbers, those were outstanding. You talk about a lot of what we've seen so far since earnings season sort of kicked off. Those have been pretty powerful as well. We, we talk about energy. We talk about all these different areas in the marketplace that have been moving. Crude oil just the other day, yesterday, was up and over 63. So there's a lot of different positives right now, I think, in the marketplace. But I think that that is the time that you have to sort of sit back and say, I might need to buy some protection. Buy it when you can, not when you have to. When your back is against the wall, you start to panic. That's not the right time. It's times like this where I think you have to take a look, and that's exactly what I'm doing. All right, fair enough. Nasdaq's, uh, there you go, up up 1% as we're talking about it. So, Josh, you know, we've been having this conversation whether it's time to be bullish or cautious. You see that retail number today, and I think roaring 20s. It's the story that you've been telling and that everybody else has been telling for a while, and that's it's what it makes me think about, right? People are going to go nuts this summer. <laughs> so on a t- in, a tip- in a typical quarter, you have something like 200 million hitting people's accounts for things like tax refunds, uh, et cetera. In the first quarter this year, it was 600-something million. So a triple of just money being deposited to regular people than what's normal. That's how you get retail sales up 10%. Um, in addition to an all-time high for the Dow, the NASDAQ, also an all-time high for the NDX, also an all-time high for the equal weight S&P 500, an all-time high for Russell 1000 growth. Go take a look at REITs, new 52-week high, commodities surging. If you're having trouble identifying the fact that we're in a bull market, 
there might be a better career for you uh, <laughs> to consider. Like Amazon is hiring. This is not a difficult environment. So I think, I, I think there's a lot of commentary and there are a lot of opinions about things that have never happened before. People seem to be so sure of when this ends, how this ends. I would just point out very simply, if you focused on price action, which is the truth, doesn't mean price is always right, but it is the truth about what's happening right now, it's less difficult. We have blowout economic data and the stock market has gotten the message. And that is the big thing that I think you need to understand. Okay. Now, is okay. it time to be optimistic or cautious? You can always be both. You don't have to lose of your mind of just because stocks are but, higher. But you just said, okay, the, the market's gotten the message. You're, you're a thousand percent right. The question is, is there more message to get or is it all in, right? Things are good. We know that. But it's not a big secret. It should secret, never be all right? in. It should, it should, yeah, it, listen, I agree. It should never be all in unless you're 20 years old and you're using money that you can't touch for 45 years. The typical person watching the show right now knows better. Nobody's all in. And if they are and they're doing things like using leverage at all-time record highs, they're, they're going to learn a lesson and perhaps they need to. I think for most people, the hard part now is to stay, stay invested because everyone suffers from what's called the gambler's fallacy. This is a very well-known cognitive issue. It's a behavioral finance issue. Lots has been written on the subject. And people think that the roulette wheel spins and hits red five times, the sixth time should automatically be black, or the odds of it being black are higher. And that's just not how this works. So I really feel strongly that if people commit to an asset allocation and accept the fact that things might get worse, and then better again, and then work, like, accept the fact that you have to live through that, that's a better answer than sitting here day after day after day, watching this market grind higher, and sitting there in cash like, my moment's coming. Right. That's not how successful so, uh, investors should be carrying themselves. I don't know then what we take from Steve Leisman's All-America Economic Survey, because it tells an interesting story about how people view the stock market, whether now is the time to be in the market, nervous about the market, cautious about the market. Steve, you heard the conversation that, that we started to have, and I'll get back to the committee in a minute. But tell us about these results. They're, they're pretty telling. Well, what, what we're seeing in terms of the outlook on the stock market, Scott, is that the views on whether or not it's a good time to or a bad time to invest are right on top of each other. We went back and made a chart of the last several years and what happens. It's actually a pretty bullish signal, Scott. And you guys would know this better than I would. But if you look back to December 2018, once again, when the look, there's a general optimistic or, or uh, 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 optimistic idea in, in, in the attitudes on the market. But when they get on top of each other, when that differential gets really tight, the market has done pretty well thereafter. Uh, sometimes it gets uh, pessimistic because you have, for example, a change in administration. That's happened before. You have your Republicans and Democrats flip. Uh, you also have the market uh, crashing, and then they get pessimistic, and then the market has tended to come back. So that's just one thing to look at, Scott. This 37-36 is about the tightest uh, a split we've had going back to 2019, and December 2019 was, was pretty good right then. Yeah. Or Jim, September 2019. Yes, yeah, stay with us, Steve. I mean, Jim, I, I kind of <clears throat> tend to agree with Steve here, you would take that as a bullish signal, right? You don't want everybody on one side of the boat. This, this tells you that not everybody is, that there is some caution uh, to, to be had, even though the environment plays bullish. 
I think your assertion is right, Scott, but my the, the degree of its importance to me is relatively low. And the reason, there's several reasons for that. One, these surveys are quite often, maybe not from Steve, Steve's is special, but you get these bull bear surveys so often and they change so rapidly that it's hard to determine the signal from the noise. The other thing, and this to me is very important, is it doesn't say as much about time frame. And I want to illustrate this with an example. You know, we've you and I have talked about Apple and the large cap tech sector a lot over the last month. You know I'm bullish on it, right? Yesterday, Apple and the large cap tech sector were down big. And I was thinking about it at the end of the day. I was thinking, am I wrong? Do, do I suck? And no, the answer is no, I don't. The answer is that is total noise. It's total noise. It has nothing to do with anything, nor does it have anything to do that it's up 2% today. You have to have a longer term time frame. If you're me, if you're me. Now, maybe there's somebody out there who's great at trading daily, you know, large cap tech up 2% today, was down 2% yesterday. <laughs> I have yet to meet those people. I have yet to meet them. The long-term prognosis is very bullish <laughs> yeah. for so many reasons. I was having They're these, on Twitter. As, as, <laughs> as Jim was, was talking about himself, I was, I was having these Stuart Smalley uh, flashbacks. <laughs> But we can discuss that <laughs> at, 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 at another time. Um, let's, let, let's be clear. I am bullish. You know, I know you are. Your, your lack of cash relative to where it has been suggests that. Um, but I think Steve was on to something when he suggested that the results of his All-America Economic Survey were, were bullish. And Brenda, right? I mean, if you... You don't want everybody on, on one side of the, the boat, as, as I said. The VIX is incredibly low. Now, it's not as low as it was when it was below 10, which feels like eons ago. But it is low enough to make people feel that there's maybe too much complacency and too much euphoria. Steve's results, Brenda, would suggest that there is not. Yeah, I think, you know, regardless of where sentiment is, and I think sentiment is is mixed. You know, a lot of people are looking forward and saying, what does it mean that we're accumulating all this national debt? And when is that actually going to, to start to hurt? Or are we going to see inflation pick up? I mean, there's certainly a lot of concerns out there. But I think when you look at where the money has been flowing to, it has absolutely been going into the equity market. I mean, I think over the last five months, there's been more money poured into the equity market than we saw over the last 12 years. So it's very significant. Um, and I think it's a sign of the times, especially given how low interest rates are, where there just aren't very many other opportunities. And of course, it's against the backdrop of what is going to likely be a pretty tremendous period of economic growth. So I think, though, to, to Jim's point, uh, there are some opportunities. And if you look within large cap tech, as much as everybody has talked about the cyclical trade, there are some opportunities that I think have developed there. And many companies and stocks have underperformed the market by 10% or more this year. So it's not that every boat is rising. Um, and it actually is pretty tremendous that the market has done what it has done without the participation of many of those large cap stocks. E even, Steve, you know, with the negatives that the Fed chair, for example, brings up of the dislocations in the employment market and the fact that the virus is still a threat and we still have to vaccinate a lot of people and the rest of the world doesn't look quite as good from a vaccine standpoint as the U.S. does at this juncture, um, he's incredibly bullish on what the economic outlook is, at, yeah. at least in the near term, because he knows growth is going to be incredibly strong because of all this pent-up demand. Scott, this is my favorite day since the pandemic began, and that's a big statement. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Seeing that drop in jobless claims this morning down into the 5 million, you know, with a five handle on it, I was really getting nervous as to why 
that number was up week after week. And I think we've seen that that number, the, the prior two weeks, was, were a bit of an anomaly there. Um, and now we have jobless games coming down. Really strong retail numbers. And I think those numbers, by the way, could get stronger in the months ahead because of the timing of the stimulus checks, by the way, we're kind of tilted towards the latter half of the month. Um, and so we may get strong numbers. We have high savings rate. Our survey also shows that people use the money to pay down debt and put it in the bank. Uh, so that's another piece of positive news from the general public that underpins, I think, the economy. And then what you see is, whoa, surprise, the economy's roaring and companies are making profits that are beyond what we thought. If you thought that the companies that you all invest in so well are not exquisitely geared to extract profit from a growing economy, well, then maybe you ought to be go working with Francis McDormand and living in a van yeah. at Amazon. <laughs> and, and Josh, I'm wondering, based on all this, how selective I, I really need to be when I'm thinking about what kind of retail stocks and recovery stocks and travel and leisure stocks that, that I want to own right here, or, or do I not have to be? Do I just feel free to buy a whole lot? Uh, of those stocks because of exactly what we're talking about now. Scott, this will be unpopular, especially on this program, but I'm going to say it because it's the truth. And you guys know that's what I do. Actually, it doesn't really matter at all in this environment. Every day there's another group that's leading, leading the, the rally higher. You really can't find. Now, if you're talking about outperformance, yes, it matters. If you're getting measured every quarter, were you in the right stocks over the last 90 days? It matters. But that really doesn't matter for most people in real life. What matters is participating. And, and really, it's very hard to find names that are not working. I think 93% of the S&P 500 uh, is, is higher over the last year. So the big picture thing that we're speaking to investors the most about right now, like we hear from dozens of families every week, come to us. I, I, I like what you guys have to say, but I'm worried now is the wrong time to invest. Look what the market just did. I understand that, that feeling. Over the last 12 months, the S&P 500 is up 75%. It is uh, the best 12-month period uh, in a long time. And so we ran the numbers. Go back to 1950, 70 years worth of data. What happens to the S&P 500 after it's gone up 50% or more over the last 12 months? Well, the truth is, over the ensuing three years, it's never been down. Over the ensuing five years, it's never been down. So a one-year rally of this magnitude has not historically been a bad time to be investing. In fact, the I, three -year, average three-year performance is 42% yeah. after a huge I, rally. I sure so hope not. just focus on being in. I, I sure hope not because the data that Schwab had out today, they added 3.2 million new brokerage accounts in the first quarter. That was more than all of 2020. Okay, now, granted, 2020 sucked, right? We're going through the depths of the pandemic. However, retail's in, Steve. The retail investor has hey, joined Scott, this party. I, I, I don't like to contradict the judge. It's not very good court decorum here. But let me just, mm -hmm. uh, for a second here, <laughs> tell you that only 51 to 52% of the public is invested in stocks. You may say retail is in. But by every measure that's out there, there is a very, very long way to go. And in fact, I've done this survey, Scott, for I don't know how many years, a dozen years, maybe more. It's very sad to see people who are not invested. They do not feel and see the 
benefits of an improving economy the way those who are invested in stocks do. We have two groups, those with um, $50,000 or more in the market and those with less or none at all. Inevitably, the people who have money in the market, and this is over a 12-year period, have uh, better outlooks on the economy, better current assessment of the economy, better outlooks on their wages, better outlooks on almost every single aspect of their lives. It's called the wealth effect. people who do not invest, it's called the wealth effect. I mean, I know that's not a, 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 a tremendously profound idea for this group, but you ought to look at the numbers that I'm looking at from the general public. Right. They are not invested, Scott. Maybe the existing group is more invested. But but the broad uh, the broad swath of public that is not of invested course. in stocks. Uh, very very well understood. Um, I'm glad you raised the point. It, it leads to a broader conversation that we just can't have now, um, obviously about income inequality and and all of those issues that we care deeply about. But you know we're, when we're focused right now on the fact that you've got new highs on the Dow and, and the S and P, um, the Robin Hood crowd. Over the last year, getting involved in the market, that's a new swath of retail investors that's interested in stocks. The Schwab number is eye-popping for certain. Steve, thank you, uh, as always. Steve Leesman with his survey, giving us something to chew on. So let, let's, let's, Pete, you know, get down and dirty then with, with, with some names, right? <laughs> Josh says you really don't have to sure. be that selective. Do, do I want to go out and buy the casinos on this retail number? Do I want to buy the airlines? Do I want to buy the hotels? Do I want to go to Best Buy and Walmart and Target and Starbucks and Nordstrom and Macy's and all of these stocks that have had really nice runs for the most part over the last handful of months? Mm -hmm. I think there are certain names uh, that, that make more sense than others. To Josh's point, there's a lot of names. You're basically throwing it at the, at the wall and you're saying, you know what, they're all going higher. And he's right. But I also think that you're looking for select names and you're talking about quality names. And you're when you're looking at the quality names, you're looking at names that They've, they've done really well last year and can, can continue to do extremely well, I think, this year. And I'll give you names like Casey's General Store. Now, it's not an exciting name, but it's one of the names that I've bought just a few, like a year and a half ago or something. And it has done amazingly well. And part of the reason is because it is sort of in that world of sort of essential, but it's not. They've got the, the store inside when you're going up and filling with gas and all the rest of that. Target's another one where we talked about how sticky they were and all of this great momentum that they had gotten during the pandemic. But was that going to last? And then a lot of people were saying, well, that was peak earnings. They continue to do their partnerships. They continue to add on to their stores and a store within the store sort of a model. I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think they're inexpensive. I also look at Walgreens Boots. This is another one of those names. Take a look at what that's done year to date. There are names out there, Scott, I think, that can outperform by a large margin many of the other names. Now, obviously, you know, it's, a, it's, it's not going to be completely easy. And I think Josh is right to, to say that there are a lot of names that are going to do well. There's a lot of names in retail that are going to do well. But you also want to have the quality names that make sense. And when you look at them, fundamentally, they are in a great position on top of what they are doing with their businesses to go forward. Abercrombie is another one of those names that we just talked about just last week. I think that there are names out there like Gap Stores that can really move to the upside and continue the move to the upside because of how they've positioned themselves over the last few years into the pandemic and what they're doing with e-commerce. And those are the kind of names that I think will be the outperformers over the names that are just performing. I'm just thinking, you know, yes, we have a lot of ground to make up from a jobs perspective. You, you did have a million this past month. 
And Steve Leisman made the point with us, maybe it was yesterday, the day before, that you still have to have a million a month for eight months to get back to the numbers that we need and hope and want to, to, to get to. But as the employment picture improves hey, see what happened, man. and <laughs> you have all this pent up demand, Jim Labenthal, I don't understand from the notes I'm reading here. It says I'm not interested in retail right now. Why not? Well, uh, yeah, well, so I do pay attention to price. And while I think we will all agree on being bullish on the market overall, there are sectors that are more attractively priced than others. So, look, we, I've said enough about large cap uh, tech. It was beaten down. That was a place to invest. I look at even the stocks I'm in, right? Walmart, Home Depot, Tractor Supply, my new position in Tractor Supply, which I love. But I look at that price and this is not a day. And I look at that chart that I want to go out and load up on retail. These stocks have already priced a lot in. They are likely to consolidate their gains for a while before going higher. So what has already consolidated gains and is ready to go higher, mainly the industrials, that includes GM, that includes Cleveland Cliffs, Boeing, those stocks have consolidated. They're ready for their next leg higher. It is true. You can just invest in the market. That's not what I do. I am selective. I look at retail. Look, Dix. I was in Dix this past weekend. The line was almost literally out the door. And I look at the stock price, I say, yeah, it's reflected. I'm not the first person to see that. So I got to wait for weakness in retail to get in there. Brenda, does that... Can we talk about Amazon? Yeah, let, me let, let me let Brenda get in and I'll come back to you on Amazon, I promise. Go ahead, Brenda, because you do have some retail exposure in TJX, Sherwin-Williams. And then you want to... Why don't you tee us off on, on that? You also own Amazon. And then we can get Josh in on that as well to, to back you up. Sure. So I think there are some opportunities still within retail. You know, if you look at a TJX, it hasn't fully participated with the market. They've been suffering from store closures in Europe, but I think that's all temporary. And really, as we start to see reopening happen more meaningfully, it is a place where I think people who love to shop will gravitate to. They should have exceptional inventory quality this time around, given there's been so many disruptions. Um, so that's a, the type of name that we think will continue to work and, and represents continues to represent an opportunity. Um, we also think that Amazon uh, represents an opportunity here. It also has not participated this year uh, in the market rally. And we continue to think that they're going to gain market share across the board. They're really not specific in one particular area of the retail market, but just will rise as they continue to gain market share at, um, uh, to online. So that's another area that we think is, is interesting. All right. That moves right into Josh. You wanted to talk about this, Josh. Yeah, I don't even understand. We're 22 minutes into the show and we haven't spoken about Amazon, who just told us this morning that they added 50 million, five zero million prime customers who this so you want to talk about retail this is the whole ball game right here amazon told jeff bezos in his last letter as ceo this morning uh which everyone should read as soon as the show is over obviously um but should, should just told us 28 percent of prime users um are buying something in less than three minutes or less when they hit the site and on average about half of them finish their purchase within 15 minutes so when you compare that to any other retail experience that you could possibly imagine, it is very clear that if you want to have exposure to the consumer who is now spending again with abandon as though there was no pandemic, uh, this is the way to do it. And Amazon has not really done much over the last year. In fact, it's still negative from its peak in September. I want everybody to pull this chart up. 
This is textbook consolidation after massive gains. The stock has been building a base going back to September 9th. It's not quite at a breakout point yet, mm-hmm. but when it gets back to that uh, to, to that level, what do you think happens? You think it gets turned away at that level? I don't. I could see this stock taking on 4,000. So, like, we could talk about all these different miniature consumer plays, these, like, little retailers, or we could say, what's the real big picture here? 200 million Prime users, up 50 million from this time last year. Unbelievable situation for only one publicly traded company, and that's AMZN. This was part of the the September stallout in the fangs, and yes, it's picked up a little bit, but to your point, it hasn't gotten going. It's right there. Yeah, it hasn't really gotten going the way that an an alphabet has because of the reopen play there, right? Apple started moving again, but Josh, it's not the only way to play it, or you wouldn't be in Simon Property Group, right? Agree. I own other stocks that have exposure to the consumer, but I'm looking at this stock at once to approach that old high of 3,500. And after this much time consolidating, taking out sellers, new buyers coming in, people upping their position, there will be no sellers above 3,500 because nobody will have a loss in the stock. Understand the behavioral psychology involved when a share price consolidates um, for, for six months, eight months, and then gets back to those levels. I, I, I would just look at this as being a primary way to invest in the resurgence of the consumer and probably a lot more interesting than a lot of the other names that, that we can look at. It, it may be more interesting, Pete, but you know, I'm wondering where else you can make some, some money in the space. Like you, you have been invested in the casinos before and some of the airlines like Delta, which we heard from today, um, some of the hotels in, in the past. What do you think of those stocks in the here and now? I think that they, 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 have, they do serve a purpose that is going to be a great uh, gain, I think, over time, Scott. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, they're going to have to deal with all the different bumps in the road that we are continuing to see every single week still. I mean, let's take a look at what's going on. We were so excited about vaccines, and then we had a little bit of a hiccup, obviously. And because of that, that sort of uh, gave people a little bit of a pause once again. But uh, that doesn't mean that these names can't come back and different seg- segments and sectors can't come back. And I look at airlines and I look at casinos and all of those types of, uh, you know, the hospitality area, the hotels as well. They do have a real chance to be a great in a great spot and a great position to go a heck of a lot higher. Might take a little bit more time, might get people to the point where maybe we're talking more in the summertime. Maybe those are second half of the year type names. Mm -hmm. But I think there's still a lot of names. And I don't know where I lost a signal before with you. But I will tell you, there are a lot of names in retail. It is not just one single name out there. There are many names out there with, yeah. that you can get that I think gives you a diverse side of things where you can still say, you know what? This name is run, and yet it still looks like a quality name that's not overpriced. And those are the names that I think you have to stick with. There's this other um, amazing, um, you mentioned vaccines, and we're talking about the reopen and recovery and all, all that stuff. An incredible statistic out today that, Maybe the most important COVID vaccine news of the week, if you really focus on it. The CDC identifies only 5,800 COVID-19 infections after the final vaccine out of more than 66 million. And those who did get it had mild cases. We're talking about 0.008%. If that doesn't say go get a vaccine, I don't know what does. We'll take a quick break. Check out this mystery chart. The stock has surged over 200% in a year. We're back up to this. 
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. All right, we're making some moves, and we need to talk about it. Brenda Vangelo, I'll come to you first. You sold. Ooh, Pete's not going to be happy with this. Pete's not going to be happy. You sold <laughs> Pfizer. Tell us why. We did sell Pfizer. And I'll say, you know, we are so thankful for everything the company has done in terms of the vaccine. Um, and that's obviously a big, um, they've been a beneficiary of that this year. I think there are certainly questions about what comes next. And when we looked at our own portfolio, we have other pharmaceutical exposure and decided in this case to sell Pfizer in favor of buying Stryker. Uh, we don't have a lot of exposure in our portfolio to medical devices or med tech. And Stryker is much more of an organic growth story uh, in our view than Pfizer. Um, we also think they're gonna be beneficiaries of reopening and more people who are uh, going for these elective procedures that they participate in so often that have been delayed. People have been waiting to get vaccines. They don't wanna get their knee replaced or their hip replaced and spend time in a hospital right now. So I think this is um, not only it's a great organic growth story over the long term, but in the shorter term, they should also benefit uh, from a real pickup in procedures. Okay, you bought Stryker as well. Tell us about that. So that's what I was sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, my bad. Yes, we sold. um, Sometimes that happens. All right. Let me talk about. Hello. Let me talk about Coinbase uh, for a minute, because remember, Joe T mentioned it yesterday as we were talking about the direct listing. Um, and he said he wanted to buy the stock at 320. Uh, he did get filled on that. So he, uh, he's uh, good on his word there. Uh, Joe T, Joe Terranova is in uh, Coinbase. So we'll keep uh, an eye on that as well. Where are we going now? We taking a break? All right. We're doing CrowdStrike now. Here, we're back. I'm back with you. CrowdStrike got initiated today by at Deutsche Bank. The price target 265. The firm saying it's in the sweet spot of cybersecurity. Josh Brown, you own it. I was a little distracted there for a minute. I apologize. I was reading something. Now I'm back with you. Well, what, what were you reading? Like Architectural Digest? <laughs> Listen, this is, this is, I think, this is, an, this is an important research report because they're talking about the total addressable market for endpoint security being like $35 billion over the next couple of years. The incumbents in this space are dead meat. CrowdStrike is picking them off one by one. I've been pounding my fist on the table on the stock since 120. I'm not telling people to run out at, at 211 and, and load the boat, but you did have a big opportunity during the quote-unquote tech wreck. The stock got as low as 173. The thing with very expensive, very high-growth stocks like this is they're not for everyone, and you will have to live through the drawdowns to ultimately make money. And not everybody can do that, or especially not with a large amount of money on the line. It's hard to do. This is going to be high beta for a long time. It's a $45 billion market cap, nowhere near that in revenue. So if you're aware of that going in, however, which I obviously am because I'm saying it, um, the reason to put up with that level of volatility is this. This company probably has the opportunity to become the sales force of cybersecurity. This could be one of the most important technology companies and platforms in the world. Um, And as the hacking gets increasingly more sophisticated and increasingly involves state-sponsored hacking efforts from countries that are not our friend, CrowdStrike's product further distances itself from every other product out there. 
And that's why they're winning so many Fortune 500 companies, government agencies, et cetera. So um, I understand the, the trade-off here between the risk of buying an expensive stock, but the potential upside. I'm thinking about this over the long term, and I'm sticking with it uh, because I think they're doing an incredible job uh, all over the world. Okay. Um, that stock's just ripped. Wow. 27% above current levels is what that new price target is of Be careful. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, we hear you. Good, that's good advice. Rahel Solomon with us now with some more calls in the tech space. Rahel? Hey, Scott. Yeah, two calls in the chip space from a Raymond James note this morning. First up, NVIDIA. It's already trading at all-time highs. As the firm upgrades the stock to a strong buy, target here goes to 750 a share. Now, despite the chip shortage, firm likes NVIDIA's supply setup. And longer term, they feel like NVIDIA's AI success gives it a permanent seat at the table. Jim Cramer himself referring to the company's CEO this morning as the Da Vinci of our time. Stock is up more than 125% in the past year. Ray J also downgrading Intel to underperform from market perform, saying that while the new CEO is very capable, their pursuit of trying to turn around its manufacturing issues and return to dominance will cause them a lot of pain in the process. Scott, that's in terms of CapEx and lost market share. Plus, a shifting landscape and data center will make the industry less dependent on Intel, especially as NVIDIA gets into that space. The stock is up about 30 percent this year. I'll send it back to you, Scott. Okay, Rahel, appreciate that very much. We'll get to NVIDIA in a second. But, Pete, um, sell Intel in some corners. This is market perform at Ray J. They got underperform. Excuse me, underperform. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, when I, when I look at Intel, Scott, I, I'm still seeing the same company that we just talked about about a week or so ago, which is uh, Pat Gelsinger has done an outstanding job of navigating and getting very clear with everybody exactly what they're going to be doing. They talk about CapEx. This is a company that's going to put up a $20 billion plant right down in Arizona. How about the idea that they had $21 billion in free cash flow last year? I think this is a company that just continues to they, – they, they've had their issues. There is absolutely no doubt about that. But if you just look at a year-to-date chart, it sort of says it all. This is a stock that has continued to move to the upside. It's had a really nice move. It has pulled back with this NVIDIA news and so forth, getting into the competition. But let's not forget – that is out there a couple of years as well. And along the way, they're going to be building and going to be uh, doing everything that Pat Gelsinger views as, the, as where they need to move to over the next couple of years as well. So it seems like NVIDIA gets a little bit of a pass where Intel, everybody wants to slap down. I, I continue to own this company, tur- trades at about a 13 PE. I still think that there is plenty of upside, even though the stock was just sitting at multi-year highs just a few days ago. Okay. Brenda, NVIDIA. Yeah, I would agree with what Pete just said in that, you know, NVIDIA's announcement that they're entering into to Intel's uh, CPU market is makes for a great headline um, and everybody loves to pick on Intel. Uh, but I would say that it is going to take a while for them to really build out that capability. And as Pete mentioned, meanwhile, Intel is going to be building out their capability as well and more um, uh, capacity. So I think NVIDIA continues to be well positioned. Um, and um, I would agree with the analysts' uh, view on NVIDIA in general. We own both NVIDIA and Intel, I would say, as a you know kind of a barbell approach that we put into place during March of last year. Uh, but we've become more and more positive on Intel um, over the last six months or so and really think that the CEO change has been a good one. Yeah, well, certainly got a lot of talk. We know that. All right, we'll take another quick break. We'll come back. The Dow tops 34,000 for the first time ever. We'll talk about some of the stocks that have led the way there, how you play them from here, and we'll do it next. 
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Both sides have rested their cases in the Derek Chauvin trial for the killing of George Floyd. Chauvin invoked his Fifth Amendment right not to take the stand. The defense wrapped up after just two days of testimony and closing arguments are now set for Monday. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says that she does not support a proposed bill to add seats to the Supreme Court. Pelosi says she will not bring the bill to the House floor. Instead, she prefers that potential court reforms be examined through a bipartisan commission proposed by President Biden. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken has made a surprise trip to Afghanistan to help sell the country's leaders on plans to withdraw allied troops, ending America's longest war. And in Bosnia, Herzegovina, a friendly deer cub has taken an interest in soccer. A family found the cub when he was just a baby and decided to adopt him. His moves have made him an attraction in his small village there. And uh, he does have quite the moves. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you again. We mentioned the Dow hitting 34,000 today, a new record high. Wanted to go some of, uh, through some of this year's biggest winners because Jim Labenthal, you made an interesting point earlier that, you know, when we were talking about whether this so-called roaring 20s trade was going to be a boon for some of the retail and travel and leisure stocks, you said to take a better look at the industrial or Dow-type stocks, really, that have already gone through a little bit of consolidation and thus would be ready for that next leg higher rather than having to wait to go through that. Names like Boeing, which are up 17, which is up 17 percent year to date. Uh, Dow is up 16 percent. Cisco 15, 3M almost 13. Tell me more. Yeah, and uh, I think General Motors is in there as well. Or maybe that got kicked out of the Dow, Scott. I can't even remember. It's been in and out. But I think the general point here, um, and, you know, Josh was alluding to this with Apple and Amazon, consolidation goes on. Sometimes it can go on for a long time. I have a feeling that what's going to kick these names out of their consolidation phase is the earnings season that we're in right now. And Steve Leisman actually alluded to this as well, that, you know, the earnings are likely to surprise for all the macroeconomic effects that we are talking about. So 
as these companies in the next few weeks come through their earnings, I would expect a little altitude for Boeing. Um, I would expect Cisco, which has been breaking out, and we've talked about that. If it gets one good quarterly report here, I think it's going to shoot higher. If it doesn't get a quarterly report, then it's still in the penalty box. But it's more likely for all of these that earnings are what propels them out of consolidation. Josh, you agree with the, the, the whole thesis, I guess, that, that Jim's put forward? that those the more, more the industrial type stocks are the ones that that you should take a look at here if you're thinking about boom rather than some of the you know consumery names well back to my back to my original comments on the the nature of the environment we're in there are days where you're going to feel like a genius if you're overweight industrials but then the next day you feel like a genius if you're overweight uh, some other sector, financials or technology. So it's, it's really incredible to have this many industry groups all working their way higher at the same time. So I don't think it's necessary to make an all-in bet, but I do agree with Jim that we are in a moment where economic data um, coming in ahead of expectations is rewarding shareholders in stocks that are directly related to the economy. The last thing I would say, though, on this, if you actually look at if you actually look at like the weightings in the Dow, the biggest weighting has nothing to do with the economy. It's United Health. It's seven and a half percent of the Dow 30 um, because of where its share price is. Remember, this is a uh, price weighted index. Look at that chart. Who cares if it's an industrial or not? It's pristine. It's a per it's like a perfect chart working its way higher. And you could find a lot of those outside of economically cyclical areas. So I just, I just want to round up by saying, like, don't feel like you have to get the sector right. That's not what's going on right now. Yeah. Brenda, if there's a name you, you'd buy, and, and you sort of alluded to it earlier within the technology space, it's Salesforce. Yeah, you know, I think it, Salesforce has really been suffering from concern over Slack dilution, um, as well as just the overall, you know, sentiment over the whole group, I think, of large cap tech. Um, but this is a name that I think is going to put up a tremendous quarter uh, this this coming quarter and is really well positioned and it has not participated in the rally that we've seen. So I think this really does represent an opportunity uh, to get in and add some exposure here for anybody who doesn't already own it. Right, stock's getting a nice uh, lift today, about one and three quarters percent. Uh, as we said, Dow is back above thirty four thousand. Uh, again today at a new record high for the Dow and the S&P. We have more trades ahead, including Pete's unusual activity. We'll do that in two minutes. Let's go to Elon Moy, who has a news alert for us on the big banks. Elon. Well, Scott, six of the major bank CEOs will appear before lawmakers in what is likely to be a wide-ranging hearing at the end of next month. They include the CEOs of J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley. That hearing will be held virtually. They'll be before the Senate Banking Committee on May the 26th and before the House Financial Services Committee on May the 27th. No specific topics have been listed so far, but I would expect that this hearing would encompass the recovery from the pandemic, PPP, uh, aid to homeowners as well. We have reached out to the relevant chairman of the committees and have asked for a statement. We'll bring you more as we have it. Okay. Scott. Elon, I appreciate it. Pete, unusual activity. What do you have for us today? Yeah, I'm going to start off with Keurig Dr. Pepper, Scott. Now, this is not a name that comes up a lot for us, but it's pretty interesting because if you go back to February, there was a buyer that was going out into April. They were buying the April 33 calls. 
They did very, very well on that trade. They're selling those today, and they're actually going up and buying the May 36 call. So they still want to be in the stock, buying about 12,000 of those calls. Those are going for anywhere between $1.05 to $1.10. So that really did stand out. That's a nice, big trade, 12,000 contracts. We don't see that as often as we once did. But I will tell you this. On top of that, we also had Kratos. Now, Kratos is defense, security, all the rest of that. That's another one of these names, the May 30 calls. They bought about 5,700 of these, Scott, for about $1.05 up to about $1.30. Now, this does encompass the earnings, which are going to be in early May. So they're looking right now for something that's actually going to explode to the upside and make a big move over 30 in a very short time frame. All right. Pete, thank you for that. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back right after this. We're back. I want to bring you a story uh, new at noon. We just got our hands on a new letter, an investor letter uh, from Greenlight Capital. That, of course, run by uh, David Einhorn, dated uh, April 15th uh, of today, uh, says they only made a handful of portfolio changes and essentially broke even. But he does address a few uh, interesting and notable issues. Number one, he uh, asks and answers the question as to whether the tide has really turned from growth to value. Uh, he says we've only just begun a recovery. Uh, and has a chart sort of to back that up. Uh, he sa- talks about inflation, believes that it's only going one way, and that is higher. And then he has some pretty um, hearty criticism, if you will. Uh, he, he addresses the GameStop uh, short squeeze and the situation around that and criticizes Chamath Palihapitiya uh, and somewhat Elon Musk, uh, both for their appearances on TV at a critical moment and, and saying that Elon Musk wasn't on TV, but Chamath was with us um, and talking about a critical moment that further destabilized the situation in GameStop. Specifically, he says, Mr. Polyhapatia controls SoFi, which competes with Robinhood and left us with the impression that by destabilizing GME, he could harm a competitor. As for Mr. Musk, David Einhorn writes, We're going to defend him half-heartedly. If regulators wanted Elon Musk to stop manipulating stocks, they should have done so with more than a light slap on the wrist when they accused him of manipulating Tesla shares in 2018. The laws don't apply to him, and he can do whatever he wants. He goes on to criticize the regulators uh, as well, specifically calling out the SEC. There's no cop on the beat, he says. It's as if there are no financial fraud prosecutors, companies, and managements that are emboldened enough to engage in malfeasance, have little to fear. It's always interesting, uh, Josh, when when David Einhorn um, opines on things um, critical of Chamath and the whole GameStop thing. You know, David's been a short seller throughout his whole career. So he has a vested interest in that sort of debate that was taking place within the market at that period of time. Yeah, I for the last like 12 years, I've read every letter David's ever put out and uh, I have a lot of respect for him and I always take his view, but I'm not sure on the time horizon. Like, I don't even think the SoFi thing is closed and it may or may not have even been announced uh, when the GameStop thing happens. But I, 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 I'm not 100 percent sure, so don't go by that. Um, but that, se- that seems like a stretch. I feel like there were a lot of Internet celebrities who just wanted to be involved in the uproar over GameStop, and some of them were placing trades for fun and making light of the situation. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, maybe, maybe it'll come out that there was more to it. I just feel like it was more casual than, than what um, Mr. Einhorn's implying. What about, Brenda, this notion that inflation's only going one way, and that's higher, and his belief that you're pretty much at the beginning of a recovery in the value trade, a suggestion he th- seems to be making here 
that finally, after at least a decade of underperformance, there is some runway ahead? Yeah, I think you can. I agree with that argument that we could certainly see value continuing to perform well, particularly given that those businesses just haven't had the wind at their backs for so long. And if we do enter a period of significant economic growth and significant infrastructure spending, not only here in the U.S., but globally, that those many of those companies could certainly be beneficiaries. All right, we'll take um, it. Okay. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, um, Sorry. Um, so those companies could certainly be beneficiaries. But, if, you know, the inflation question is a good one. And I think if there ever was a time that we would see inflation, it seems like it should be in the imminent future, given how much stimulus has been enacted globally. I mean, central banks have been trying to, st to um, uh, facilitate more inflation for more than a decade. Um, so we've cer they've certainly put their best foot forward in terms of committing dollars to that. Um, so I, I think we probably will start to see inflation pick up a little bit here. Okay. We'll take that break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right. Final trades. Brenda, you're first. I'm going to go with Apple. It has not participated at all this year, up less than 2% for the year. Still a high-quality company poised to have excellent earnings growth. Okay. Thank you. Farmer Jim? Northrop Grumman, been talking about it for a while. It continues its breakout. All right. Josh? Uh, NVIDIA, new all-time record high, going mm -hmm. higher. All right, Pete? BSX, I think it's going higher. Scott, some buying in there. All right. Speaking of higher, new all-time high, as we said today, Dow, S&P once again, the exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.